the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. We don't need no education. We don't need no control. Welcome to Education Nation, where we tackle the biggest issues in American education. School is now in session. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Mark Durkin. Well, good evening and thank you for joining us here on Education Nation. I'm Headmaster and host Rebecca Hagstrom. And it's a privilege to join you every Saturday evening here on AM 1280 The Patriot. I'm joined in studio, of course, once again by our wonderful producer of Education Nation and my co-host, Mark Durkin. Well, Happy New Year to you, Rebecca. Yes, it's so good to see you. You as well. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been together. It has been a few weeks. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I hope our listeners listened to a couple of our reruns and yes. enjoyed those always as timely. well. <laughs> yes, always yes. timely. Exactly. It is certainly a, um, uh, a lesson that's going to be carrying on for months. Oh, We're going to be talking goodness. about these issues in the coming yes, we weeks are. and months for sure. And yeah. Hard time in our nation right it is. now. Absolutely. And it's it's very very sad. Mm-hmm. Very sad day. We we love our country and we want to see it thrive. Absolutely. So, anyway, well, what are we gonna talk about today? Well, we are going to talk <laughs> about something that is very, very timely because yes. we know here in the state of Minnesota in the month of January we're going to be seeing elementary schools. Mm-hmm. gradually reopening their in-person learning. Yeah, and that's going to be awesome. up to the school district. In fact, last summer in Liberty mm-hmm. Classical Academy was kind of on the front end of this curve, yep. not to boast or brag, but yep. just to say that <laughs> faculty and staff was working very, very hard implementing a plan for the return to the classroom. And that had taken place, if our listeners remember, on the first day of the school calendar, mm-hmm. which was August 31st. And mm-hmm. during that last week of August, if you go to our podcast, ednationmn.org, you can listen to our interviews with uh, Suzanne Horn and Brian Martinez, yes. some of the faculty, the administrators mm-hmm. at the school mm-hmm. who will uh, refresh your memory in terms of the process that went into place to get the school back open. And we're going to talk about that a little bit again tonight, just as a refresher. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the next two weeks, we do want to revisit the reopen for in-class mm-hmm. learning. How have things progressed over the last four months? How do faculty and families feel now? Now about the decision to reopen the classrooms uh, since late August. Mm-hmm. Uh, Liberty Classical Academy, Rebecca Hagstrom, as you know, our wonderful <laughs> host, she's going to answer these questions tonight and also next week as well as a means of encouraging families. We want to mm-hmm. encourage families who maybe have some reservations, they're fearful if their school mm-hmm. districts are going to be uh, heading back into the classroom, and we just want to uh, go ahead and really just reiterate that uh, it can be safely done, and mm-hmm. students have been uh, very, very healthy uh, through the first uh, five months of the school year. Right, so right. And were... actually encourage those whose kids are still stuck at home. Yes, um, that's a, There's a, a lot of, of parents who are disappointed because of the middle and upper schools often not opening in districts. And so giving them some some ammunition, really, I guess, yeah. for lack of a better word, to help them 
try to help their school districts make that decision. Sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's just briefly, you know, revisit the process uh, that was undertaken to reopen Liberty Classical Academy. And what were mm-hmm. the conditions again? Where were we at in terms of uh, lockdowns? I know at that point, schools had gone all to distance learning right. for the last couple of months over mm-hmm. the spring. But I mean, what were some of kind of the things the Department of Health and the Department of Education were saying in terms of the start of the 2020 school right, year? Right, right. Well, really, the the beginning of our process for reopening this fall began almost literally the day our our last workshop day ended in oh, June, okay. um, and that wasn't necessarily by choice as much as, as much as it was by the fact that we were already being asked by both staff and parents, "How are we going to reopen this fall?" Because we had said we're committed to reopening the school this fall. So we, like every other school, went online um, right after our spring break, and we were online exclusively all the way through the end of the school year. Um, And so by that time, by June 1st, if you remember, that's when things started to lift. And um, But things were not fully open yet at that point. Mm -hmm. And so we held our teacher workshop that week, uh, both in person and on Zoom. The vast majority of our staff was comfortable coming back in. And we social distanced them, and um, those that weren't comfortable zoomed in. Okay. And uh, that's a three-day workshop. And by the end of that, uh, by Friday, which was the first day, really, that we didn't have workshops, yeah. um, we already had questions. How are we going to do this? How are we going to open? So really, what we decided to do, um, I you know, I just felt like as a as a head of school in navigating something that we've never navigated before, um, I sensed that our families and staff wanted to reopen overwhelmingly in the fall, but I decided that really the best place for us to start is to make sure that that's true. So the following week we put together a survey and we sent that out to our parents and to our staff. And it was a voluntary survey, and um, you know people didn't have to put their names down if they didn't want to. And <clears throat> we had several questions that we were asking. You know, do you want to be back in the fall? Are um, do you have a child or a family member that has a health, underlying health condition? So those kinds of questions just to give us a sense of what are we dealing with here. And what we found from that survey is overwhelmingly, absolutely overwhelmingly, our families and staff wanted to be back in school in the fall. So that really confirmed what we suspected, and that gave us the confidence then to start moving forward, putting together a plan. And so if you remember, the administration was saying, well, we're going to come out for a school guidance on reopening, I think like July 29th or something like that. It was late in the summer. And and so, you know, I just said, we can't wait for that. We, We have to move forward. We're a private school. We don't fall under the um, Minnesota Department of Education. And so, therefore, we can make our own plan. The only thing that would change that is if he did a complete lockdown, then we would have to look at whether we were going to really open again. Mm-hmm. Um, but we didn't suspect that there would be a complete lockdown, you know, at, at the end of the summer, uh, just because everybody predicted the summers would be better than than the winter months. So, anyway, so we did that. We went ahead and uh, started planning. but But before we planned... We pulled together several doctors that were at our school. We have many doctors at our school, but I um, brought in only those that are on the front lines, the doctors that um, are maybe emergency doctors or, you know, family health practitioners or 
that type of thing, um, because we wanted to make sure that there were people that that really were dealing with COVID on a pretty frontline scale versus like an orthopedic surgeon or something like right. that. So um, we asked these people to be part of a team and our administrative team came together and we had lots and lots of questions for them. And we just asked that once we met, we just asked all of our questions about the reopening, um, got lots of information from them. And then we went ahead and, and took several weeks to write up our plan and then met with them again to show them the plan. And we made some adjustments to it. And that was by about mid-July, and um, that was right before the mask order came. So we, not knowing the mask order was going to come, we went ahead and sent out the plan. And then um, about a week later, we had to revise our plan based upon uh, the mask order. So we did that and then sent that out, and that's basically the process we went through. And then obviously we turned our attention to then implementing all the things that we were going to do to provide safe uh, reopening for both our staff and, and mm-hmm. students, which, you know, took quite a bit of work, too. Right. So. One thing that really, you know, highlights to me is is that first part that you talked about, about, well, let's get the input of our community at yes. Liberty Classical Academy. I mean, yeah. just to be able to receive the 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 survey that came as a parent, I, yeah. I so appreciated that just to be able to say, okay, we can, our voice is going to be heard. Yes, absolutely. We can make our voice heard and we're not going to have to jump through all of these hoops of, you know, bureaucracy right. that is wrapped up, unfortunately, in much of the public school yeah, system. Yeah, very sad. That our voice is going to carry mm-hmm. some weight in this. Mm-hmm. And so that's just another wonderful benefit of, obviously, of school choice and yes. just being able to uh, to have your voice heard as a real partnership yes. with the school. And that's, that's and that word partnership is key. Yes. Um, we talk about that a lot, that we are partnering with our parents to provide the education for their children. And, yes. you know, we we have a, kind of an open door policy with our parents that, you know, if you want to come into the school and, you know, sit in on your child's class, you can do that. Now, if you were doing that every day, we right. might say, um, you know, We've this got is it a little here. bit of it's a okay. distraction. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but truly, we, we, we have nothing to hide from our parents. We um, want our parents to uh, appreciate what their kids are receiving and sometimes, you know, volunteering in class and just seeing what is happening. It's really exciting. Parents often actually get more enthused about the school after coming. Absolutely. And I really appreciate, mm-hmm. too, as a parent, I mean, just a lot of the, you know, HAS sheets, as they yes. are called at the school. It homework just gives, assignment sheets. Homework yes. assignment sheets. It gives the <laughs> summary of kind of what's going on in the classroom. And as parents, we get to, you know, be a part. It feels like we're also partly educating yep. them as we are helping them through their yep. schoolwork. And, and that's, that's the way it's nice. supposed to be. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, we mentioned uh, earlier, you know, the mask mandate that did come into effect in July did kind of throw a wrench into the plans that we're putting together where some things had to then be readjusted uh, before uh, sending them out to the families. What were some of the other challenges or obstacles uh, uh, to reopening for the fall in person? Well, at that point, it was more practical things. Sure. How are we going to space the kids? You know, we used we used the AAP guidelines um, association or the academy or American Academy of Pediatrics. Okay. Um, they came out with the guidelines. CDC came out with guidelines. MDH had some guidelines, although theirs weren't very much, they weren't very elaborate until after Governor Walls uh, came out with his plan for schools. But so we mostly relied on the AAP. And they recommended three to six feet because they realized in a classroom setting, it's tough to have six feet and realistically. And that's one benefit that we have as a private school that isn't huge. You know, we've got just over 300 kids preschool through 12th grade. Many of our classes, we can separate three to six feet pretty easily. 
in the classroom um, where we ran into problems was uh, we combine sections. You know, we have two sections of grades K through five, and we combine them for things like art starting in third grade and Latin and music. And so we had to really square up how are we going to do this? Um, mm-hmm. You know, are we going to sing? <laughs> you know, because right. there's there were some of these reports about choirs, you know, being spreaders. And um, so we ended up having to then revise our schedule. Mm-hmm. And that took a ton of work uh, so that we could separate to the degree possible all those sections for art and we did do music, but they would just sing like one song and they just met for 10 minutes at the beginning of the year. And then as time went on, then we put it up to 20 minutes. And so we were limiting, we were trying to accommodate the recommendations while also not compromising our program because our parents are paying tuition. Right. Proceeding with caution, testing the waters and then expanding from there. Yeah. And we had to work on lunch schedules. So our lower school students are still eating lunches in their classrooms. And the amount of time and effort that takes to bus all those hot lunches to the classrooms and then collect all the garbage, bring it back to the classroom or back to the cafeteria, you know, get the milk containers out to all the kids. And there's a lot of effort that goes into serving kids lunch in the classrooms. It sounds so simple. Oh, just serve them lunch in the classrooms. Yep, we did. And then we are. And it's, it is, it is a time. There's a lot of planning that had to go into that. A lot of cost, you know, had to buy some carts. And I mean, who regularly thinks about that other than administrators right, in schools? Right. I mean, as families, we wouldn't think about no, that. No, there's yeah. so much detail. Um, the other thing that was important for us to consider also um, was the the ventilation. And I think we're going to be talking about that a little bit sure. later. I don't know if it's this week or next, but um, we wanted to make sure that we were giving the best possible ventilation to the kids. And thankfully, we had, you know, a significant donor that stepped up for us and um, really transformed the ventilation system in the older parts of the building and then even in some of the newer parts. So our gym had an ionizer added to it and the cafeteria and things like that. So, sure. yes, there was a, a lot of, oh, a lot so of planning. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, you were listening to Education Nation here on AM 1280 The Patriot. I am your co-host, Mark Durkin, along with... LCA headmaster and, of course, our show founder and host, Rebecca Hagstrom, talking about and giving us really an update on the reopen for in-person class learning at Liberty Classical Academy as parents are beginning to navigate the waters across the state as their children's education or elementary education schools open up later on this month. I believe that starts January 18th, and, of course, Mm -hmm. that goes on a district-by-district basis. Um, You know, what's the best part, though, would you say, of working in a classical school in the physical building? I think Mm -hmm. the in-person component for this type of school curriculum is very important. It's extremely important. And as actually, as I said to our families last spring, I would never have thought to take a what we call low-tech classical program um, to full-on distance learning. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is because classical education um, at all levels is very interactive and engaging. So in the lower school, you know, you're doing songs, you're doing chants, you've got actions, you're up and around, um, you're acting things out. And so to do that by Zoom 
is very difficult. If anybody has watched when choirs have tried to sing, you know, through Zoom, right. it's yeah. it's difficult to do. Mm-hmm. And and so that's a huge part of our learning in the lower school is the songs, the chants, the rhymes and sound offs. And it's dependent on being together in a room. And that's very difficult. Um, when you get to the middle and upper school levels, then there's a lot of discussion and debate that takes place, presentations. Well, you have to do that in person. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, we we had to compromise and we did have students doing the whole speech meet for the middle school was held That's via right. Zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not ideal in any way, shape or form. And for the kids, it's less of an experience because they're standing in front of a computer screen rather than in front of their whole class or in front of the whole school. Mm-hmm. And so the experience of having to do public speaking is very different in front of a video camera than it is, um, you know, in person, live and in person. Sure. So, yeah, classical education is um, just a highly effective form of education, but it is most effective when you are able to interact with your teachers and interact with your peers. Right. Uh, regardless of what level you're talking about, from K all the way up through 12. 12th grade, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Well, we touched base uh, a little bit earlier about the return to in-person learning model that will begin on January 18th across uh, Minnesota's elementary schools. Um, you did touch a little bit here just on the interactive piece mm-hmm. and how important that is, but what is the importance of a classical education at the lower school mm-hmm. level? Like, How is this forming the foundation for kids? Yeah. Well, that is actually what we say. We say the lower school level forms the foundation, and, and we're doing that by giving them the tools of each of the subjects in those lower school years. So, you know, you hear the word grammar and you think of English grammar, but the term grammar actually reflects um, the first stage of learning in a classical education, and it's the elementary school years, when you're really teaching the grammar of every subject. So it's not just English grammar, but you're teaching them the grammar of math, the grammar of science, the grammar of history. So you're giving them just those basic tools. And that's where the songs and chants are so important because they just can memorize like sponges at that age. Yes. And so you're laying that foundation for them in the lower school years that's going to serve them. You know, an example I like to give is in third grade, the students learn the first 26 chemical elements in a song. I've got a third grader that's doing that right (laughs) now. That's crazy. (laughs) And just think of that. I didn't memorize my chemical elements until I was in 11th grade or 10th grade. Yes, me too. Or no, 11th grade chemistry. And, you know, it's a lot harder to memorize the chemical elements in 11th grade than it is in third grade. It took (laughs) weeks to do that. Right. And think of the time that's saved on the part of the teachers to... You know, have the kids um, reviewing those over the course of the years. And by the time they get up to that high school chemistry class, then um, the teacher can go so much deeper. And that's one of the things I love about classical education is that the lower school looks very different in the sense that the kids aren't sitting behind desks doing, you know, um, worksheets all day long. There's some of that. Um, But what what that saves them is then by the time they get to high school, that foundation is there, and then the teachers at the high school level, they can go really deep. Yes, they can. And those kids learn how to think. They learn how to reason. Um, they they are able to have really deep debates and discussions, sure. and that's what prepares them for college. You know, you hear college professors saying all the time, kids don't know how to think. They don't know how to write. Well, we have time to do all that because we've taken time to set the foundation in the lower school years. Mm-hmm. And it's critical. Absolutely. You know, getting back to the, the chants and the songs, it's funny because some of the songs my kindergartner is learning, 
my third grader can chime in and help her so she yes. still has it memorized <laughs> yep. four years later. That's the it's, whole point. Isn't it, it amazing? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It works. It works. I have seen it firsthand. And, you know, we did talk about middle and, you know, the upper high school uh, students and uh, the plans for reopening for in-person learning. I don't believe that's been determined yet uh, mm-hmm. across the street. But I just did want to throw some numbers out here from the Minnesota Department of Health that were released. I, I took a look at these numbers right before Christmas, and there were some 60,000-plus positive tests involving uh, COVID and the age range of those between the ages of 0 and 19. Mm-hmm. And there's only been one COVID-related death. Yeah. And given the clear, almost 100% recovery rate of students in this age group, you know, why is reopening important for both schools? When I say both schools, I'm talking middle and upper schools mm-hmm. in terms of the importance of a classical education. Mm-hmm. You, you went heavy well, the low end. Guys. Yes. And I mean, I, I kind of touched on that a little bit for classical, but I, I would like to just take this moment to, to say, I think it's critical for all types of schools. Sure. Uh, students need one another. Um, learning isn't something that takes place from a screen. Mm-hmm. Um, many of these schools are not even doing in-person learning. They're doing recordings and what have you. And even when you try to do in-person over Zoom, you lose so much. The teacher can't be walking around the classroom, checking their work, right. leaning down and saying, hey, let me help you with this problem. It's all collective when you're going through the Zoom on the computer so to get any individualized instruction at all, and this is true regardless of whether you're talking about classical or, you know, a more modern approach, um, you have to have almost sign up with the teacher for a special time. Well, the teacher can't have separate times to Zoom and meet with every student in their class, but when they have a class of you know, 20 some kids, they can walk around the classroom and they can give little individualized instruction all the way along the way. And that's true for middle and high school kids right, too. Absolutely. Imagine being a high school uh, t- student who's supposed to take do science. How mm. do you do a science lab right. over Zoom? How do you do a science lab through a recording? Don't have the um, materials. Right. Yep. And if and you certainly can't have discussions very easily. Um, they're they're much deader. They're flat. Um, our teachers said it was just awful. Um, even though we got praise for our online program last spring, right. um, our teachers said the discussions were very flat compared to what they were getting in the classroom. The kids just right. they lose their motivation, and um, and so from a classical standpoint, if you can't get them to really engage in that discussion or if they can't get the help they need to be able to write an in-depth paper with all the logical arguments and get that one-on-one help with the teacher, which is what we expect our students to do is to write those, you know, very deep, thoughtful papers, right. uh, both in English and history, even in science to a degree. And so you think about so, last spring where, you know, everything was shut down on the inside. Yeah. How do the kids even research to do those? Right. Right. Oh, they, o- they yeah. only could do it online. online That's all right. they had. That's right. all they had. Yeah, yeah. it was very. Um, but but I also want to just address the mental health issue, too, sure. of that age group. Um, you know, many of the schools are opening for the young kids and, and uh, not emphasizing the middle and upper school kids. But, you know, we have to remember that learning is one thing, but schools are much more than just learning. Yes. Schools provide social development, in our case, spiritual development, because we're a faith-based school, athletic, physical development. And so all these things that are critical to a child's education are missing when you try to do distance learning. 
And because distance learning is tough to keep your attention span, they tend to shorten it. So then the kids end up with all this dead time. And what I'm hearing from parents who have kids in schools where they're online, then the kids, they're going to get together anyway, and they find things to do, and that's not always good things to do. Right. And then those who don't have opportunities to get together, maybe they both their parents are working and they're stuck at home because they don't have their license yet um, or don't have access to a car, they have major mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I, I think it's just criminal what has happened to our kids, our nation's kids. I never thought I would see a day right. where education wouldn't be considered absolutely essential and that it would be the number one priority um, for for our country. And I'm just extremely disappointed in our culture. Um, I know the unions have been very outspoken about not reopening and they've been very influential, but I'm very disappointed in our leaders for not pushing back on that and as far for as, the sake of the kids. Exactly. And as far as, as the concerns, if you will, that are being raised by the union, it's obvious that the kids don't come first. No, they clearly don't. not. Absolutely. Clearly not. Well, we just have a few minutes here to uh, get through the rest of tonight. It's yes. gone by quick. This <laughs> it's has gone been by such very a fast, yeah. wonderful conversation, very yes. encouraging to me as a parent, and yes, just all good. the things that have been going on at the school. Mm-hmm. I hope this encourages our listeners as well, too. Yeah. Um, you know, we mentioned earlier at the top of the broadcast how faculty um, embraced with an overwhelming sense, yes, let's do this. Let's mm-hmm. get back into in-person learning. And, of course, this was uh, during the summer when the weather was much nicer. I mean, mm-hmm. how have the, the, the feelings been with amongst the faculty now that we're in the winter months? Mm-hmm. Are they still uh, just as uh, enthusiastic and peaceful about the fact that they're back in, in class now? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, and I want to back up to the summer. We did have a few staff members who had um, – family members with underlying conditions, sure. um, or there was just some nervousness about coming back. And so I did have two, two uh, staff members who had the, we, who we offered to take a leave of absence if sure. they would like to do that. And, um, and then I had another staff member who decided right before school started that she thought that was best for her because she, she herself had an underlying condition. Sure. And so um, those that were really nervous, um, three, like I said, that were concerned then chose to, st- to step back. Um, and then those then that went into the school year, we still had a handful that were worried and concerned. And so um, I would say that it sort of had its ups and downs for them. Um, I think they were more nervous at the beginning of the year, and sure. then when they saw that things were going well, mm-hmm. they they relaxed some. But then, you know, when Minnesota had the surge, we saw some of that at our school. Um, <clears throat> right after Thanksgiving, we had some that were. I think we never had more than seven students at any or seven people in our school. Um, I think that was the peak that we had. Um, I think it might have been the week right after Thanksgiving or the, maybe the week after that. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's not like the whole school was right. affected, but it was more than what we had grown accustomed to. And so it sure. felt like more. And so I think the nervousness then increased again right. um, for some of those teachers. And um, but then we you know made it through to Christmas break and now we've reopened and now we're at zero again, zero cases. Yes. So I sense peace again. Mm-hmm. And um, if there's another surge, there will probably be mm-hmm. a handful of those same teachers that are nervous. Sure. And and so we just try to um, do as much as we can to try to 
help. Um, you know, I, I, in one case I did offer, she wanted to take the year off and she decided, nope, I want to stick it out. So Mm -hmm. we just try to talk it through with them. Absolutely. And I think Mm -hmm. one thing I really appreciated, I know the community at Liberty has also appreciated has just been the transparency, the emails that have come to update us to say, Hey, you know, this is kind of what's going on and really just the aggressive plan of action that has been in place to really mitigate, you know, just to really reduce any potential spread. That's a really important point. Um, We have tried to stay ahead and communicate from the very start, even last spring, to just try to keep everybody informed of what's happening and what's going on so that they are aware. Absolutely. Well, this is a conversation we're going to continue next week as well. Absolutely. As we get closer to that January 18th date in which families of lower school students will be seeing their kids go back Mm -hmm. to in-person learning, help squash some of those fears. Well, that's the end of this program. If you'd like to listen to this show or any other show that we have done over the course of the last four years, you can go to our podcast at ednationmn.org or check us out on Facebook at Education Nation Radio. We will see you again or talk to you again next Saturday, 6 o'clock. Have a great week.